morning, everyone. The Bible readings this morning come from Ephesians uh, chapter 4, uh, verses 7 to uh, 13, and it's on page 1,175 of our Bibles. And the second reading is from Jeremiah, and it's chapter 1. The first reading is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through to 13. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ appointed it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So... Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Our second reading is from the Old Testament from the prophet Jeremiah and is on page 751 in our pew Bibles, and starts at chapter 1, and is the entire chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests of Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the 11th year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. The call of Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I've put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly. For I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a pot that is boiling, I answered. It is tilting toward us from the north. The Lord said to me, From the north disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I am about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. 
I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods, and in worshipping what their hands have made. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them, or I'll terrify you before them. Today I've made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Thanks be to, This is the word of the Lord. Please keep that open because um, we want to travel through there this morning. From the 8th, we're going to start a series on Luke's Gospel and we're going to travel that through all the way to Christmas uh, to just be thinking step by step of um, all those great truths about Christmas and uh, the, the way that God sent um, Jesus to us. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. Next two weeks, there are one-offs. I picked Jeremiah 1 because one of my favourite passages speaks to me really strongly and so I'm going to share it with you this morning. Okay, Jeremiah 1, 1 to 19. Can I pray? Heavenly Father, we pray that your word might be the word that speaks to our hearts this morning. That as we look at this man, young, becoming great by being faithful, that you would stir us, stir our hearts that we might become stronger and stronger servants who understand um, what it means to stand by you and to know that you stand by us. We ask it for, his, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, I wonder how you would rate yourself as a servant. In your mind, don't call it out, could be embarrassing, give yourself a mark out of ten. How would you rate yourself as a servant? Interesting enough, how do you think other people would rate you? Do you think you'd get the same mark? We, we really commend those who are servants in our community, don't we? I mean, the fireys at the moment, they're the ones we're all thinking about. They're just doing an amazing job of service. Um, in the situations which are dangerous and where they work themselves into fatigue contexts, um, we know people have stepped up, they've given money, they've given time, they've, they've organised things for the farmers and their families and that's been incredibly good to see. Food, counselling, so much more and we commend them. For all the service they've offered we commend them and they're doing a great job because it's saved people's lives, hasn't it? And it's saved people's property, uh, it's uh, given renewed hope to many of them as they've seen others step up to stand with them. That's been great. But this morning, I want us to talk about a more specific type of service from looking at Jeremiah 1. Because this type of service is just a total mindset. It's not a bits and pieces thing. It's a, it's a total mindset for all of our life. And it's a strong motivation to action in those who have come to know and love God through faith in the Lord Jesus. Jesus came as one who serves... We know that because he says that of himself several times and others say it of him too, known as a suffering servant. He obeyed his father. He won our salvation for us. Praise be to God. So you and I, those who've come to know and love Jesus, 
We are led by what drives Jesus. So whatever drives him ought to drive us as well. And in this area of service, that's certainly applicable. And so if you and I are going to be to seriously follow Jesus, we need to seriously serve him. And so that's a mindset, let me just remind you, that's always looking out from ourselves. It's always looking out to other people and what we can do to build them up. Always on the lookout to how to apply the principle in our life and in our fellowship together. And as well as that sort of general readiness to serve, that general mindset that we develop and grow and strengthen, there are also specific times when God might call you and I into active service of a particular kind. And the Bible's riddled with examples of people that God called into service like that. And Jeremiah, the prophet, is one of them. He lived a long time ago. So uh, he was uh, called to active service by God in 627 BC. So where are the mathematicians? What's that? So at least 2,600 years? A long time ago. Under the reign of three kings, probably more, but the three really key ones are mentioned. One was all for God and worked with Jeremiah really well for a brief period. The other two were hopeless and opposed Jeremiah and the ministry God had called him to. It was a really unsettling time, humanly speaking anyway. Because every day, wherever you were in the community, you faced tensions and you faced anxieties of a whole range. Because... Politically, if you were to look at the times and understand the season when Jeremiah was called, um, there was instability right across the region. The prospect of war was very real. The superpower Assyria had been in charge of the region. They'd come down from the north and sort of uh, bashed up the little people, like Judah. They were, they were um, still strong, but they were no longer the superpower that they used to be. They were sort of deteriorating and crumbling away. Egypt, the opportunist nation, was just waiting there for, to see what they could grab in the meantime when, when there was a sort of a, a decrease in the power play. They'd grab whatever they could for themselves, so they were there. And there was a developing empire up in the north, the Babylonian Empire, uh, that was um, enforcing itself with ruthlessness and disregard for human life. And the people of Judah heard about all of this going on and they're saying to themselves, gee, I hope they don't come down our way. <laughs> it made little countries like Judah cringe in fear. At a community level, it wasn't much better. In fact, it was worse. The people that he was supposed to take God's word to were far from God. They had set themselves free. They turned their backs on God and just gone their own way. They no longer obeyed the covenant agreement. You remember it was so central to that relationship between God and his people? They'd, they'd said, yes, we want to be in on that, but they'd let that go. They'd centred their attention on themselves, their own advancement in life. They'd let their ethics as God's people go. And they were living immorally. And they didn't care. In fact, there was no clear-cut division between those who called themselves the people of God and the rest of the community. They all looked the same. Life was full of excesses and uncertainties. 
And I, I reflected on that and thought to myself, well, look, the state of Jeremiah's community pretty much reflects the state of our community, doesn't it? It's not hard to find matches in, in all sorts of areas. And we all recognise that in our community, God has been relegated to the backwater of people's lives. In fact, so many people have just said, uh, God is not relevant. In fact, does he exist? And they've moved on without him. And people run their own agendas. They have their own priorities. His word is not a measure for how they ought to live. The Bible's been put away in the cupboard, so they never read it. They've replaced God's measure with a different measure which says, we have the right to do whatever feels good for us, individually. We have so much resource to help us live life, more than uh, any ages of, of, in the past. And despite being more tech-savvy, What do we see? We've given over God, so who's left? Ourselves. Who is going to supply hope? We have to rely upon ourselves. Who is going to give us understanding of why we're here and, and, and a purpose for living? We have to rely upon ourselves. And we're not sure where to go. We're trying all sorts of things and very little is working. So what's happening is, you look at family life, it's breaking down. It's changing rapidly into something very, very different. Anxiety and depression are on the rapid increase, even down to our six-year-olds, I learnt during the week. Children of school age level, those who are teachers, there'd be nothing new to you, I suppose. What is going on in our community? For a Christian, they, they look at that and say, step one was God was taken out of the picture. And now we are reaping the results. So that's the context in which Jeremiah was called to service. And for him, it must have come like a bombshell, right out of left field. And you can sort of understand his sense of inadequacy expressed in verse 6. If you want to just have a quick look at verse 6. He just sees this as, as an impossible task. Uh, God is going to plump him into the middle of all this opposition and all these uncertainties and, and unhappinesses and, and, and he's, he's going to expect him to stand up against the tide that's moving against God. It, talking about our own Christian service, what is that? Is, is it not for us to speak up to step up, to stand up and live out God's word to our community. Our community badly needs to hear what God wants to say to them. And who's going to talk to them about it unless you and I do as people who value the word of God so centrally in our lives? Jeremiah's call to service required him to speak God's word to an unsympathetic and out-of-control community who were supposed to be God's people. And they'd totally lost it. Our own Christian service requires us to support and empower one another so we can honour Jesus and let his word build our character as his people and show to the world 
what Jesus does with those who trust him and serve him. So watching God deal with Jeremiah in chapter 1 ought to be helpful for us in terms of thinking through what a service mean, the service of Jesus. So let's do that. What do we see Jeremiah doing firstly? Pleads inadequacy. (laughs) That resonates with us, doesn't it? The response is familiar. (laughs) If we begin to suspect that God is showing us an opportunity of a need that we could get involved with or we know that something will stretch us and yet there's an opportunity there or if we know it's going to take it out of our us out of our comfort zone we may well plead but but i'm inexperienced this is not my area or i'm too old now or i'm only a layman or i'm only partially educated and not not in that area or i really haven't got enough time or I haven't had the training for it. Or I just haven't got the confidence to do that sort of thing. We're often overwhelmed, aren't we, by a sense of our own limitations and we therefore can't see beyond the limitations. Uh, Henry Ford apparently, I understand, made lots of quotes. Some were good and some were not so good, but this is a really good one. He said, obstacles are those frightful things that you can see when you take your eyes off the goal. I thought that was quite good. And it's certainly true in this, in this particular context. We would rather stay where we are in safe territory because we know that, we handle that, we're comfortable. But you know what? God won't have a bar of that. It's pretty obvious from the way he deals with Jeremiah. Look at verse 7 and 8. Then the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth. For you will go to everyone that I send you and speak whatever I tell you. Do not be afraid of anyone, for I will be with you to deliver you. It's obvious that God doesn't give his person a choice at this point. If we want to seriously follow Jesus, we're called to seriously serve him. And that's every Christian without exception. Every age, every stage, doesn't matter who we are, if we belong to Christ, then there's an expectation. In everyday tasks or in special ministries. Not just by being um, on rosters or being a warden or a parish councillor or a full-time minister, they're all really important and significant uh, ministries, but every part of our lives. Can we say it again? Being, being ready to serve Jesus is a mindset that we learn and develop over time. There is no multiple choice options when it comes to serving Jesus. Remember what he said to us? He said, if you're not for me, you're against me. So at a time when the desire to serve God is often determined about, by whether it's convenient or, or not convenient, what, what will make the difference to you and me between just nodding a scent that serving God is a good idea and genuinely letting that spirit of commitment and service stir us to action within our church. I think it's tied up with the question, what was it that empowered the change in thinking of ac- and action in Jeremiah? Because there's certainly a big change there. 
over the 40 years he was ministering. For a sensitive 70-year-old to say, I'm only a youth, to move to a, being a statesman, which he effectively became, appointed over nations and kingdoms, God says to uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow, build and plant, from one who balked at what he saw as a seemingly impossible task, to one who under extreme pressure stood fast day after day after day for 40 years, still serving, still trusting the promises God had made to him at the start. How did he stick to such an onerous task? I think in answering that, there's two things I just want to throw into the mix that I think is really important as a background to help us appreciate what's going on here. And the first thing is this, the call to Jeremiah we see here is all about what God wants, not what he wants. Sometimes we get it the wrong way around, don't we? It's about what, well, is that what it, really what I want? That's not, the, that's not the right question. The right question is, God, what do you want me to do? This is one of the so many instances in the Bible where God calls people into service and each occasion is a strategic application of his big plan, his master plan. He has a master plan that he's working to. He's fulfilling it stage by stage by the timing that he knows and, and has set up. And he puts you and me into that uh, and gives us the wonderful privilege of being active in seeing that work out. But it's his plan. We are small players, but we are significant players in God's sight. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. Jeremiah's call was a specific one to a specific historical situation. God is not just asking us to, to match up exactly what Jeremiah, he says to Jeremiah and just bring it over into our context because the context is very different. However, the call to service is the same. So what enabled Jeremiah to keep serving? I want to suggest three things. And as I said this morning, you'd expect three. After all, it is a sermon. Three <laughs> points. Okay, might be helpful, you're used to it, I'm not going to change anything. The first thing is this, God helped him to understand the depth of his commitment to Jeremiah. Verse 5, look at, look at the incredible things that verse 5 says. It, this bolstered Jeremiah and, and it ought to confirm our service as well. Number one, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. That's an enormous comment. How does that fire up your mind? It, it means that before you were born, God knew you and choose you, chose you as his own. Psalm 139 says the same sort of thing. It says, um, your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. That is hard to get the mind around, but that is the enormity of, of what God does. Now, we might un not understand the intricacies there, but it does clarify the wonderful intimacy between God and his people. That relationship, that depth of relationship that is established with us. He's not a God who involves himself with you and me at a distance, like the old song used to say. Forget that song. 
He stands with us. He calls us into service, fully knowing who we are, fully knowing what we're like, uh, fully aware of our genuine limitations and also our perceived limitations. And he stands with us. Remember what Jesus said um, when he left his disciples, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Jesus stands with us. That's the first thing. I chose you before I formed you in the womb. Second thing is, I set you apart before you were born. God has set you apart to serve him. Why? Because he wants you. He wants you. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. Some Christians switch off as soon as the issue of service is raised because in their minds, for one reason or another, this is a call to other people, not, not, not to me. I just look at that call and I think, yeah, there's other people who would satisfy that better than me. And, and in, obviously, in some cases, that's the, that's the truth. But if we just carte blanche reject, then we're not doing what God is calling us to do. Jesus calls every disciple to live life generally in his service, but he gives us the privilege as well of using the particular abilities he's given us. It's God's work. It's an enormous privilege that he involves us in because he loves us. There's a story of the um, young fellow uh, who was at school and uh, his, his group decided to have a cricket, cricket team competition just in the back of the house there. So they picked two teams, as you've probably done in the past, two leaders, and they started calling, I'll have you and I'll have you. And He was always the last one to get picked. And when it came to him, they'd argue about, you have him, you, know, you have him. He said, I, I, f I felt like a nothing. And when, it, when that happened, he said, I felt like less than a nothing. But his comment was, I look at the, this passage about Jeremiah and I think, no longer will I feel like a nothing because God has picked me, set me apart because he wants me. There's only one reason ever given why God chooses you and that's because he loves you. And the third thing is, he says, I gave you, I gave you as a prophet to the nations. Now, I didn't really cotton onto this until fairly recently. I know Jeremiah's call to service was in a unique area at a unique time, and that's fair enough. But he understood that he had been given, he himself had been given as a gift to the people of God in his time. And that's what God gives, that's what God does. He gives people. Same in the quote that we had from John read from Ephesians 4. It was Jesus who gave some to be apostles. They're people. He gave various people like you and me. He gave you to this fellowship. That's a really positive, encouraging comment, isn't it? He, he's given us to the fellowship. Why? To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. That's our commitment to each other. That's our vision for each other. And Jeremiah understood how totally committed God was to him and his task. That bolstered him and ought to bolster us. The next thing was God reassured him of his ever-present help. If you have a look at um, verse 8, verse 18 and verse 19, we'll, we'll read them out in just a second. 
Jeremiah was told by God to call his people back from where they were to follow him again. But he knew they wouldn't. You say, well, what's the point then? <laughs> well, there's a great point involved because in doing what he did, they, it brought them to the climax where they were taken from their land and exiled and then people started to work through their relationship with God all over again. But Jeremiah would do that by speaking his words to them. And he saw straight away how big a challenge this was going to be. Who was, who was with him and who was against him? Well, against him were the people, the priests, the officials and even the king. Who's left? Nobody. It's one against everybody else. Now, can you imagine? He was going to be alienated from social friendships, uh, a laughing stock in the community... He was going to be whipped and put in the stocks. He was going to be let down wells to, be, to die there. He was going to be plotted against, banned from the temple and eventually kidnapped and taken off to Egypt. And God doesn't give him any promise to reduce that difficulty. But he does get three re wonderful reassurances of God's presence and God's help. Verse 8, do not be afraid of them. I am with you, I will rescue you. Verse 18, today I've made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land. And verse 19, they will fight against you, but they will not overcome you, for I am with you and I will rescue you. Same theme, again, again, again. So the key words for everybody who would be Christ's servant are not words like effortless, convenient, they're words like trusting, courageous, consistent, obedient, they're the words. They take us into new territory but take us there with the promises of God in our, in our hands. You can be absolutely sure that however you believe God is calling you to serve him, he will be right there with you in the middle of it all, that's his promise. And Jeremiah was very much aware of God's presence and as he acknowledges in verse 6, he is the sovereign Lord, he is in charge, who would want anybody else standing with him while he did that work? The last thing is, is this, God empowered him by giving him two visions. Rather unusual visions but they empowered, empowered Jeremiah they explain what his key message is to be and they assure him that this prophecy will come to pass. The first one was um, this thing about the almond trees. You might have scratched your head when that was read out and thought, what on earth's going on there? Well, in that part of the world, apparently, the almond tree comes out as the first bush. It produces these beautiful masses of white flowers before any of the other bushes come out. So it's a sort of a... It's a sort of a picture pun by God where he says, every time you see the almond tree, you know the other bushes are coming. In a sense, he prepares you and assures you that it's coming. There's also a bit of a play on the words, almond, uh, and, um, and another word that's used in there as well. There's only one letter difference, and if you were Hebrew, you would see it straight away. We miss it because we're not so used to that. So God is saying... 
I am overseeing the preaching of your word to see that it is fulfilled. And all you have to do, Jeremiah, is to preach it faithfully and I'll do the rest. That was the first vision. The second one is a vision of judgment and disaster. And must have, uh, it must have, uh, I put it this way, put the wind up, Jeremiah. The people of Judah's most horrendous possibility was going to become reality. Because this great pot that he says uh, points away from the north to the south, they lived in the south, uh, was a reference to the Babylonians coming down to do their nasty work to all the little nations around that area. And that's exactly what happened, of course. And Jeremiah, for 40 years, had to tell them, uh, God is warning you, God is warning you, God is warning you, and calling them back from the brink and seeing nothing happen. He was lonely, he was friendless. Uh, He's called the weeping prophet because as he watches his lack of response from his people, he feels that so deeply. But in the end, they wouldn't listen and Babylon fell down from the north and, remember, destroyed Jerusalem and took all its people back off to Babylon. Service is a big issue. Can I share a current issue with you? I I share it with with you for your prayers. For me, it's become a recent realisation, but others have been talking about it for some time. Did you know that in the Western region we have 15 vacant parishes? Well, you've sort of probably taken your eyes off now because this one's been filled. (laughs) There's also another, at least another 10 in the other regions. So in, in Sydney at the moment, there's at least 25 vacant parishes. How come they're not being filled the way they used to be? One of the answers, there's only one of the answers... But one of them is, and this has nothing to do with Matt, I have to put him in the right spot, a lot of the assistant, the senior assistant ministers uh, are not stepping up. Now, I'm not blaming them, I'm just saying that's not happening. And part of the reason is they, they look at the role of the senior minister, which, is, which has become, can I say to you, it's become harder and harder because the role has changed and become fuller and, and they say... I'm not sure if I can do that. Uh, I, I feel much more comfortable being part of the team, but not the team leader. Do you know, know what I mean? What can we do to encourage them to see, and not all of them, some of them aren't matched that way, so, and that's right decision, but, but some of them are and, and have the potential of being really good senior, senior ministers. How are we going to encourage them? Can we encourage them through passages like Jeremiah 1 and remind them of the fact that um, when God calls you into a difficult situation, he gives you everything you need. He gives you people to to come around you and and support you as as you do your ministers here. He does whatever is necessary. God accomplished his purposes with Jeremiah. He will accomplish his purpose with you, and he'll work out... uh, the need of these, uh, these men to go into parishes. He see the, sees the potential in how he can use you in his service and he will push you towards that. He gives us the resources we need. He just asks you and me to make ourselves available to him. Can I just say, having said all of this, Kathy and I have observed this service mentality in many of you 
since we've been here. It's been a great encouragement to us to see that. And we've seen the, the positive effects that's had on so many people. It's supported stability. Normally in a situation like this one, you lose 10% of your people. That's sort of a figure that's bandied around. I don't think we've lost 10% of the people here. Um, often uh, you, you find that uh, uh, things slow right down because in a sense there's no sense of being driven, driven along by a figure. Now, I don't think that's happened here. We can thank God for that. It's supported stability. It's allowed church ministry to go on as normal. And soon you'll be welcoming a new senior minister with fresh opportunities to serve Jesus and serve each other. From Jeremiah 1, can I, can I finish by encouraging you this way? Take up those opportunities when they present themselves. There'll be a whole range, oop, whole range new microphones for instance. <laughs> Don't assume that others will take them up. You, you take them up. Work in partnership with Prash and Emily and Matt and Naomi and, and, and all the rest of the staff to let Jesus take you out of your comfort zone to share the privilege of seeing him progress that great master plan that he's working out for this church and this community. There's the challenge. The question is, can I ask you, are we up for it? You might like to talk about that over a cup of tea this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please place your challenge in our hearts to step outside our comfort zone and to serve you by making ourselves available. We ask it for Christ's sake.